We've exorcised that demon. I don't know why you're still upset about it. We beat him. We have won back-to-back national titles. We are no longer scared of Nick Saban, that fucking weirdo who looks into camera too often when he's giving sideline interviews. Iron Brains, a podcast that knows not to expect too much out of the world in 2023, but somehow has still been surprised by people arguing about the precise level of moral outrage we should feel about various unspeakable acts of violence and cruelty about how we should react to the murder of children, depending upon how the murder was carried out. A podcast that knows not to expect too much out of the world in 2023, but somehow still has to find a way to sleep at night knowing that Jimbo Fisher will be paid $75 million to not coach football for the next few years. My name is Bob, sitting across the way from my good friend and co-host. That's Abe. How you doing tonight, Abe? Doing well, Bob. Yeah, here we are. Lori's here, too. How you doing tonight, Lori? I... Learned this week that Jimbo Fisher is my hero. Lori's found a new hero. Tonight is Monday, November 13th, 2023. Abe, it's uh, Monday night. You have a good weekend? Any yeah. uh, anecdotes? Any good uh, Abe stuff out in the world to discuss? A uh, relatively quiet weekend. I mean, I just watch sports, you know. I uh, Whenever there's a decent game uh, of Georgia, I like to go to the local uh, sports bar, and I did again for the Ole Miss game. I was like, oh, this game. After and like a great game it was. Yeah. So good. It was like, you, like, like nobody that was that nervous about the game. Like, everybody was like, yeah, we'll be fine. We may be close. I but was. like I was like, oh, this game is over. Like, after like the second quarter, I was like, this team is well, yeah, after well, the yeah, second after quarter. Yeah, after we went up <laughs> three scores. The first quarter ends at 14-14, where they've – matched us and the defense doesn't appear to be able to stop anything uh, and then we finally get a stop that is the nice thing about doing the the deferral when you you do not take the opening kick yes they score that opening touchdown as the opponent has just about every single time out this season against and often the dogs it looks troubling like oh that that's a little easy. sure does the defense doesn't look like they can stop shit like i don't know what the other coaches are doing but like th- that old thing about like having a first scripted series or a first two scripted series or whatever that yeah. uh, coaches first sometimes come plays. in with right yeah right has seemed to work really well yeah. against georgia this yeah. year and then uh after that not a whole lot and it makes me think that uh, this Georgia coaching staff is really, really good. Like that, that Kirby be. is so much better than he was in like 2016, He's 2017. So wonderful. I'm grateful for him every day. Yeah. In, just in terms of in-game management. Yes. Uh, he still has problems a lot of times at the end of the half with the fucking timeouts and the clock management and that sort of thing, where it's just not clear that he realizes that he can't trade a timeout for a double cheeseburger at halftime. I think it's I think it's deeper. I think it you know how like I like to leave a dish in the sink, like a spoon. Like I don't quite finish. Yeah, Lori cleans the kitchen by cleaning uh, 93% 97, or so of the kitchen. 
there's something I think he does where it's like she also eh. she she also doesn't close drawers or cabinet doors. They now, should cabinet be doors to just close. stay open all the time. It's just Lori's been in the kitchen. I it, it, then the cabinet I'd be doors happy are with open. Them just oh, no doors. Uh, and then in the Take in the, the bedroom, off. if you guys want the inside skinny on Lori in the bedroom, I'm going <laughs> to spill the tea here. Uh, she opens the dresser drawer, gets out what she needs from the dresser drawer, and then closes it approximately 93% of the way closed. Like the like Kirby Smart does. Leaving an inch or perhaps slightly less than an inch of Way space an inch. between the drawer being closed. But are we ever waiting for me to walk out the door or am I fucking ready? So this is not an issue of like, oh, I walked by the dresser and banged my knee or ankle on the outstretched and not quite fully pushed in dresser drawer because it's never that dramatically the motion of closing it closed but it's not ever truly closed what the fuck (laughs) is going on there there's a deep weird psychological reason for this i like to leave some timeouts i like to just leave them you and Kirby, I yeah, guess. Exactly. I wonder if Kirby, perhaps That's we can. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying I relate to it. Perhaps just, we can get eh. like uh, uh, Roddy Nabolsi or some other Georgia Bulldogs insider uh, to talk to him. I follow him on Twitter. To ask Kirby, uh, do you also like my oh, weirdo I'll wife? Oh, Emerson to ask him. Not close your dresser drawers, and does that have anything to do with not calling timeouts and preserving uh, a chance to score at the end of the half? Anyway, uh, this is uh, is all beside the point. Lovely game. The Georgia Bulldogs looked like the sort of team that could win three straight national titles. Game Uh, recognized fame, as they say, (laughs) on a shirt. For the first time. Uh, Really, it hadn't looked this good all season long, and it happened at the exact right time because Alabama, the last couple weeks, now say what you will about their opponents, which have not been... Great, like LSU is not very good, although they have an awesome. Uh, that offense is unbelievable. Quarterback and, he and had offense the best in general. Career day of any quarterback ever. Yeah, yeah. He. I'm not saying that LSU isn't <laughs> doesn't have talented players, but they're not a great team. Like right. they have no, three they're losses. Good on offense and yet so bad on defense that they're not right. Like, and Alabama handled them uh, reasonably well, and then Alabama handled. Uh, whoever they played, they played Kentucky this week or something. Yes, yes, it was embarrassing. Right, and they embarrassed Kentucky. Um, so Alabama, at the start of the season, it didn't appear that they were any good. Like right. Milrow didn't look any good, and the offensive line was a disaster, and they had a whole bunch of penalties on them uh, early in the year. But Alabama has figured it out. Alabama is an actually good team, and it couldn't have happened at a better time for Georgia to look like a world-beating team. Uh, considering that uh, Alabama has clinched and now the the SEC championship game has been set, uh, it will be Georgia against Alabama once again. According to uh, ESPN's uh, bullshit predictor that I always uh, cite, uh, it is basically a coin flip advantage Alabama. So that it's like wow. they've it, it, never lost in that building. It, it's weird how uh, like all of these uh, like you know the the college football playoff people move Georgia down a bit. Just so it seems like they're trying to uh, advantage Kirby Smart because he can use that as you know motivation material. Like you're right. back-to-back champion. They don't need them. it. They don't need it, but it's kind of like to their benefit. Like they're not going into these games as like you know like oh you have it's like seventy-five twenty-five or like some sort of like easy favorite against Alabama. It's just like I it's don't want to play Alabama. 
It'll be fun, right? I mean, who, uh, there's nobody. No. I mean, it's that's not fun. That's never fun. It ended well once in the last 15 years. It wasn't fun. Right. But we can add to that. This team is this team is really good. And like, so Beck too. That's Beck has been it, great. Like he's, he's great. He's. I, I, and I know that I, I dumped you on Stetson for two years. After Stetson Bennett comes back from the dead with color on his face he to was, smile at everybody, you shut up. You know what he looked like? He looked like a man who had almost died at some point in the recent <laughs> past and was just sort of happy to be alive. That's right. That's he how he looked. Game. Yeah, they kept on showing yeah. him. And there's still no explanation. He was explanation. there to accept his award. Right, but there's still no, like, because he could have had a couple of starts. I think Stafford in the NFL was out for like a week. They plugged in some random quarterback that could have been that could have been Stetson the New York Giants have a starting quarterback named Tommy DeVito who <laughs> lives at home with his parents you and could be Stetson ba- Bennett is not playing NFL football this year so you're, you're saying you wish Stetson Bennett were your quarterback is yes, what I'm hearing you yes say. Okay. I wish that Stetson so Bennett were the quarterback shit. for the Giants he's he would almost certainly be better than Tommy DeVito by the way I I if if you're making that name up, I would not know. Is that an actual thing? That's, like that's- an actual name of the Giants quarterback who has to start now because uh, Daniel Jones is broken. What was it? Was he an Achilles also? Or he tore an ACL or something. He was hurt, and then he came back, and he, he ruined himself. Uh, I forget the exact nature of his injury. Uh, and then uh, Tyrod Taylor, who had been starting in place of – Daniel Jones also got hurt, and so now it's Tommy DeVito, who's the <laughs> Giants quarterback. Team is so bad. I just saw, I just looked up, and they were like down like a bunch of points to the Cowboys. I was like, oh. They gave up nearly half a hundred to the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> you, the Cowboys scored seven touchdowns. Uh, it's just ugly. Speaking of ugly, uh, so great, great game Saturday night. I'm like, oh, wake up early to watch the Germany game where the, the Colts. Uh, Patriots. Colts against the Patriots, <laughs> a throwback to the good old early mid two thousands. Like That's you right. had those classic uh, AFC Championship games with uh, two goats in in battle, and then you get this. Which as was, bad as uh, uh, Peyton Manning uh, is, uh, this Minshew Mac Jones matchup was just atrocious. Just like two didn't terrible. They, didn't they bench? Yeah, uh, he was Jones so- <laughs> eventually. <laughs> he threw like one of the worst picks in the red zone, and they. Plugged in some other guy who zappy or whatever, and he also sucks. Yeah, P- poor Belichick. Ten to six was the final in that game. <laughs> Just dreadful. There was a there, the Iowa game this weekend had an over under that was an all time low of I think it was twenty seven and a half points for uh, Rutgers at Iowa, and the under hit. It was twenty two nothing at nice. the end of the game. Just some real bad football out there. And it's weird. Like Rutgers, like the transitive property doesn't hold at all. That's how you know that everybody sucks is that the the transitive property has fully broken down yes. uh, across all of sports where Rutgers like plays Ohio State very close uh, and, and looks like they might actually have a chance at them for like three quarters and then gets shut out by against Iowa. Yeah. Uh, and, a, and the same thing has happened in the SEC a whole bunch of times. Like Tennessee is supposed to be kind of good. Uh, maybe, and then goes to uh, Missouri, and Missouri owns the shit out of them. Anyway. This, this guy on the internet, on my happy internet, said that if every home team in the Big 12 wins this week, there is a scenario in which the Big 12 ends up with an eight-team tie for first place. That's ridiculous. 
I heard something else that the Big Ten could send, uh, like whatever the other division of the the not Ohio State and Michigan side is. Did they get rid of the, could, the, the weird naming, like leaders versus legends? Or I don't know. What, yeah, yeah that's why I refuse to participate uh, in in any of that. But like the other, like whoever's going to play Michigan or Ohio State in that other game, in the championship game, might not be bowl eligible. Uh, going into the uh, the yeah, championship game, yeah. So ugly, ugly uh, football season College in general. Football is no. This is this is a wonderful football season. I'm having a great time. Well, that's good. I guess as long as we're doing sports here at the top, a uh, uh, greater moral stain. Jimbo Fisher getting paid $75 million to not coach football through the 2027 or 2028 season, something like that, or Tim Scott spending $25 million just in Iowa only to drop out of the presidential uh, race here before we even get close to, before he even sniffs the primary, right. drops $25 million of, of some other asshole's money in Iowa alone and then drops out before the before the primary happens what is a greater moral stain on this fallen society i, I will not accept i will not accept that there is no moral component here because there must be so the uh i'm going to go with the Jimbo Fisher contract because it should be noted even though like it's a farce like it's an amateur sport and right. there's teams- no other place there's i've been trying to think yeah. for two days where how else right. what else and it keeps no happening other way it keeps happening except too. college football right. would this happen because like this is like the most dollar amount but this sort of thing where a coach gets uh sent away uh with lots of money like uh ed Ordron, like at lsu same thing i mean not the same dollar amount charlie weiss not like the same dollar amount this so, is this blows everything else away. We it's, it's worth going through the chart because up until now it's been like it's a long list of hateful teams, which is always it's always fun because like, Georgia is not anywhere on this list. Georgia is a respectable organization. They had Mark Richt for fifteen seasons. Yeah, yeah. It's time to move along to Kirby. Right. Had Kirby. Kirby will be here a for Georgia as long as he too, wants. Kirby right? should die here. Right. They, they got a Georgia guy like in Kirby. Yeah, Georgia. I mean, not to be biased, but yeah, Georgia did it right. But, yeah, bottom of the list is Will Muschamp at South Carolina. Now, of course, as Georgia fans, we've sort of – we've softened on Muschamp he's perhaps that, like, the last son thing. couple of years because he's been on Kirby's staff and, like, you know, he's, he's, he's harmless over there. He's fine. But South Carolina paid $13 million for Will Muschamp not to ever coach there again. Like, it's just, it's just a funny thing. Like, we're going to pay all of this money if you'll please just stop coming to the building. Like, you just go away <laughs> just for a long time and have all of this money. Bobby Petrino, uh, absolute dirtbag of a human being, seemingly, at least from afar. I don't right. know him personally. Right. But uh, Louisville paid $14 million for him to never come back. Again, Scott Frost at Nebraska just uh, last season, $15 million. Art Bryles at Baylor, 15-1. Tom Herman at Texas, they paid $15.5 million. I always liked Tom Herman, you're right. I was uh, in favor of Tom Herman uh, getting the Georgia job, perhaps, way back in the day, before Kirby got the job. Good thing you're not in that selection committee. Uh, Ed Ogeron, not quite $17 million uh, to not go back to LSU. Uh, Willie Taggart at Florida State, $18 million. Charlie Weiss at Notre Dame, 
19 million dollars in 2009 not to return Gus Malzahn <laughs> at Auburn 21 million five hundred thousand dollars to please go away and then now Jimbo Fisher Texas A&M 2023 76 million dollars no, the, the reason that Jimbo Fisher is my hero is because it's not like he was doing awfully bad not great not amazing. Uh, zero but, ten win seasons, zero playoff appearances, zero but not uh, like national giant championships. Tank, like you know, like good, decent seasons after doing slightly better. So, like I said in the text, you get a job, you yeah. show promise. You like, look, I can do good. I'm, I can take us places, and give me a massive raise right now. And then just after they do that, you just you just ride. You just let it well, ride. They asked him to come in and they said, here, you're going to give you all this money and essentially endless resources. You, We will spend all of the money that you want that or that can be spent in order to uh, get a championship. You've done this before. What we didn't uh, realize was that uh, seemingly it all had everything to do with Jameis Winston. <laughs> that perhaps, perhaps it was just... I don't the, think that's it because... He's awful. You know, the, a, a bad sign, I, you know, I, I don't uh, understand the college football head coaching market because, like, why is it that they command not only lots of money per year, but these long five, ten-year contracts, right? Uh, it's weird. I, FSU was left in, in – sh- like, it wasn't a very good program when Jimbo left, right? So, so it's not like a good indicator that he's going to – I mean, I don't understand what the... Uh, they can, a lot of these coaches do manage to somehow fail upward. Yes. Like uh, uh, Lance Kiffin being... Uh, He's the best example. The best example, certainly. Right? He goes to a place, lights it on fire, just just takes takes a, a can of kerosene and some matches to the locker room and uh, accomplishes nothing. And then oh, uh, he started gets a fire. A, and then gets a way better look, job. Look what I can do. Yeah. I can start fires. Right. Hire and, and, me. And you could probably list a, a bunch of other coaches who are similarly failing upwards. I mean, Josh McDaniels gets a job with the Broncos. I mean, this is in the NFL, but gets a job with the Broncos. He's terrible. He goes back to repair his reputation with the Patriots, and he comes back and gets another head coaching job with another AFC West team with the Raiders, and he sucks it up there too, and he leaves, and I don't think he's going to get some money. Like, there are so many examples where coaches, and this is especially in college where if they suck, they'll repair their reputation. Like, these other head coaches will take care of them. Like, you'll be like an right. analyst for me or whatever, uh, or like an assistant or – and as, you well, know, on, that, on that list, almost everybody's still working, right? Like, I guess Gus Malzahn is, a, uh, is an analyst for SEC Network, I think, still. I don't know if he's gotten another job. Yeah, I don't think he has. Breaking in here with an instant or rather next morning fact check. Gus Malzahn is currently the head coach at the University of Central Florida, a team that has moved to the Big 12 inexplicably and is 5-5 five and five and is considered on the shortlist to replace Sam Pittman at SEC School Arkansas should that job become available. But Muschamp is working for Georgia. Bobby Petrino is a head coach somewhere, isn't he? Isn't he a head coach at some, like, Division Who? II school or something? Bobby Petrino? have to uh, Google that. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Whether or not they work somewhere or not is up to them. It's not because they've been shut out from the 
college football community. Like somebody will say, hey, do me a solid because I did you a solid when I was whatever a long time ago. And you would think that this uh, Jimbo Fisher uh situation would lead teams to, uh, or or schools rather to say we're gonna shave the number of years like if we still have to pay you 10 million to keep up pace with the other coaches that's fine but 10 years no longer makes any sense right so bobby, like, sorry bobby petrino is the offensive coordinator for texas a&m so, <laughs> <laughs> no that's fucking perfect yeah, well maybe stuff. they'll get him to do it no they, there's no way but so the, the the weird thing is like these uh, college football coaches are are being hired almost exclusively for their ability to recruit, right? It's not for their X and O's and like strategies, right? It's like, can you bring the kids to the school so we can turn? But the that's going to change because of money. Yeah, or at least money they funneled that way, to, especially at A and M for the next few years. Like Jimbo got the. The good recruiting classes. Yeah. So yeah, you just need yeah. to plug someone in. I don't know. And maybe it's – maybe I am so naive. It seems like one of the reasons that Kirby and Nick Saban and, like, fucking awful – what's his name? The Clemson one? Dabo. Dabo, Dabo. Yeah. I think that at the college level – there has to be something to be said for like how the players feel and if they like being there and how they're treated. Yeah. And and I is that did they not all these people who guess what coach is coming I feel like that's being overlooked as a factor of like what makes a team successful. Over the long term, not in the moment, because it seems like anybody can, not anybody, but like you can get lucky and have like an amazing season. But the longevity seem I don't know anything, but it seems like it might come from like the leadership aspect of coaching, which I think that fucking Lane Kiffin doesn't have. Yeah, and clearly, clearly Jimbo Fisher doesn't have. Yeah, I mean, who knows the. I agree. I'm sure it has a lot to do with these guys sort of bedside manner, the extent like the way that they can manage a clubhouse basically is the way your development, the way that you would think about it in terms of uh, like baseball. But yeah, I mean, a lot of it has to do with telling them just the right amount of lies sort of right. Like you, you, you lie to these kids because you, when you're recruiting them, you're like, you are the greatest gift to God's earth. And we will do lay out the red carpet for you. We want you in our town. We want you on our school on our school and then you get there and it's like all right now we're going to spend the next six to 12 weeks of of spring and summer practices tearing you down yeah like we just we have we have to ruin you uh to make you want to work uh to achieve anything and who knows I, i'm sure it works better at, at some programs than others kirby's just i mean you can tell by the results he's just really good at at doing this well and like the fact that carson beck stuck around this whole time like he yeah. could have gone anywhere and yeah. started obviously he's really good and like it's just i think i said this last year where like i understand that recruiting matters and stars matter but like that can't be it there has to be something human element that is coming from leadership that makes the successful program successful 
And I don't think it's talked about enough because I think that the people who talk about it are a bunch of dudes who don't think about it. That's what I think. I, I wonder, from what I've learned of all the podcasts I've been listening to all football season, it's always something it's because else. It's, because it's an entirely ephemeral thing. It's, a, it's, it's sort of like saying, like, what made Bobby Cox a great coach? Well, he had the best – he had one of the greatest pitching staffs in the history of the game for like a decade straight. And he had uh, uh, Chipper Jones and Andrew Jones on top of that. And then they had a bunch of money to spend to go out and get uh, good free agents every other year. And so, like, you know, they just had the best players. And so they won a whole bunch of games. And then they didn't win. They only won the one World Series while Bobby was there. So, obviously, he couldn't have been that good of a coach. But, like, that overlooks what he was actually good at, which is managing uh, uh, 25 to 30 uh, millionaires egos and trying to get everybody on the same page and and always having his players backs and I think that's probably some of what you're talking about that there's not any question ever in the Georgia locker room about whether or not Kirby and the rest of the Georgia coaching staff has their players backs right, right? like that, that doesn't seem to be any question about that and to the extent that we've seen players leave this program over the last few years it's largely been out of the wide receiving core for one reason or another like it the the biggest frustration that i have the watching egos right it's the i mean it's the prima donna type positions who seem to want to go uh somewhere else but i don't know you know whatever uh, obviously i just i i think it's interesting that in all the speculation there's there's very little mention of the personality and human element to all of it. And I think that if I'm the person who gets to hire the next head coach at Texas A&M, that's what I'm looking for. Right. Because that the rest you can figure out. Find the offensive guy and find the people who know the stupid math of it all. Find right. the nerds. But, like, get a good leader. I, I always uh, – I, I don't know this – to be tr exactly true, but I imagine that you know the the recruiting uh, staff, like they do a lot of the relationship building, and then the head coach kind of closes it. Like it, so, like you need to have a good staff there. Uh, but also, like yes. it, it it helps to win. You know, like Georgia has like totally. two advantages. You know, one it's a good. Uh, program uh but they live you know there's a lot of good talent in georgia right like there's already although talent this has here. become a program that doesn't doesn't mind when the state talent gets away right because we're, it, rec we're yeah. recruiting nationally now we've uh, some of our biggest players over the last few years have come from california have come from new jersey have come from florida have come from i mean Philly. sure yeah philadelphia sure some of the in-state guys stick around and you have to sort of you hope to anyway shut the border down, so to speak, when right. you're doing your uh, your classes. But at the same time, like Clemson has feasted on on leftovers from the state of Georgia, right? Yeah. On on players that that have gotten out of Georgia and gone elsewhere. Yeah, Deshaun Watson and and Trevor Lawrence are both from Georgia. Uh, Cam Newton was from Georgia. You know, there's a lot of right. good players that go elsewhere, and and. and so like it, and then if you're on TV a lot, you know, I I, I think Alabama kind of kept on building off of their success, you know, and I think Georgia is doing the same. You see the team succeeding and they're all over the television. Uh, and you're like, I want to go play there. You know, I want like a good college football experience. If you're like the recruit, like I don't want to go to some crappy school. And no, it, so like that can also help, but it, it's like, 
I do wonder if by the end of the decade with the NIL money, uh, if the market for head coaches will collapse or will market correct. And, and maybe Jimbo Fisher will still remain the most dead money of a head coach. Right. You know, because who I, – I don't know. I can't see this happening again, but, you know, we'll see. Yeah. You pointed out in, a, in the text chain earlier today the way that the, the market for Major League Baseball head coaches has collapsed in the last generation or so where nobody's making the kind of money that Joe Torre was making at the end of Joe Torre's career. And, yeah, that seems to be true. I think that the main difference between a football program and a Major League Baseball program is that you are looking for a true – somebody who can do it all as a, as a football – somebody trying to run a football program. You want a, a game manager, uh, somebody who knows, has a specialty on, in one particular aspect of the game where you've got Kirby is more defensive-minded, right? So he has to go out and find uh, more coaches to help him on the offensive side of the board, but also who can uh, run a, who's a great manager, who can run a room of other managers who can then go out and, and you build your team that way. In Baseball, the question seems to be more about you're just a guy out there and you're in charge of dealing with the personalities and uh, the front office, the general manager and the analytics guys in your uh, baseball operation. They handle all of the hard baseball work at this point. It's not like it used to be. It's much more uh, the nerds are in charge in in baseball and the managers are just out there hoping not to lose games, essentially. And the, when you read about even the best managers in baseball, Bruce Bochy and Dusty Baker were the managers of the World Series teams this year, both ancient old school men of uh, nearly of the Bobby Cox vintage in terms of uh, how long they've been around uh, the game of baseball and who most people – most of the analytic baseball nerd types would dismiss out of hand as as being worth a shit at all in terms of uh, their contribution to their teams, uh, which is insane, right? Because these are the two guys who uh, were in the World Series this year who have 80 years of baseball experience between them, right, uh, in terms of their adult lives spent around the game and who fans and the analytics types will just say are at best, a break-even proposition for their baseball team, and in uh, especially in the case of Dusty Baker, somebody who was hurting his team by the way that he managed the uh, the bullpen and the rest of the of the matchup situations. So, like, the, you don't ever think about a baseball manager these days as being somebody who's going to bring you a couple of extra wins a year in the way that you would hope that your football coach. Like you would never say, I just want a football coach who isn't going to lose me games. Like You need a football coach who is talented enough and who understands the game enough to actually go out there and help your team win games in a way that you don't expect a baseball coach Are, to do. Are uh, baseball managers involved in any aspect of uh, the scouting, uh, the drafting, any sort of like roster construction it depends on on the organization but generally no is uh is the way to understand it at this point he's an employee just like anybody else in the baseball organization and he does what the gm wants him to do more often than not a lot of the strategy stuff a lot of the decisions about how long pitchers are supposed to throw for or how many pitches they they should be up for that's all decided by uh the front office the gm decides who's who to call up and who to send down i mean the i'm sure in the better organizations that the manager has some input right. 
but it's mostly decided uh, above his pay grade. So I guess that, that explains why the the uh, salaries for managers are coming down because, like, if they're not if they don't have a like with college football a recruitment angle that they, you know a value there, uh, they don't. Uh, have any sort of like uh, draft in or, or like um, significant input when it comes to draft and scouting and stuff like that, uh, which a lot of or some NFL head coaches have uh, with the drafting anyways. Like what value do they have other than just the limited like making some substitution changes or bullpen changes? But that's what I'm saying. But this is what, Lori is, this is what is... Lori is getting at. The thing that makes Brian Snicker a great manager has nothing to do with his bullpen management where he is largely – uh, most people would – most close Braves watchers that. would say that he is deficient in that realm, that his decisions are are not ideal according to what the analytics and the algorithm would tell you to do if you plug the situation into the algorithm. At the same time, I don't know how you can argue with the result. Like I know that the the nerds will say, but if we plug all of the numbers into the system, the Braves should have had 103 wins this season. Oh, and look at that. They had that many wins or so this season. And in fact, they underachieved by two. And you can probably attribute that to Brian Snitker's <laughs> shitty bullpen not management. Not their formula. It's like, all right. <laughs> right. Like, but, right it's, it's not that there's something wrong with the, the, the way that you set up the formula in the first place. It must be that the work world is wrong or that the the people who implement the system uh have been wrong in some way uh like i think it would be nuts to say that brian snicker has had no meaningful positive impact on the braves over the course of the last few years when they've won a world series and been the best and and were the best team in baseball this past season like that would be crazy and uh, like at the same time Nobody knows anything, right? We're supposed to sort of believe that uh, nobody knows anything about anything. And maybe that's true. Maybe uh, maybe Major League Baseball coaches are sort of infinitely replaceable, that there is – that there is uh, maybe there's an outlier, one or two, like a Joe Torre or a Bobby Cox who can make a meaningful difference. Uh, but But otherwise – uh, they are uh, fundamentally completely replaceable. I in think that-, that in a season, yeah, but not over five or ten. Yeah, like I, th- I, I think everyone is being very short sighted. I think that it was short sighted to extend Jimbo Fisher's contract to a bazillion yeah. dollars after being slightly better <laughs> for a couple years, and that's why he's my new yeah. hero. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to. I mean, they're they, they're the ones that gave him the money. If he asked or his manager asked, and they're like, "Yeah, we'll give you all the money." What are you going to do? Take the money. And I'm only half kidding when I talk about the moral stain question because, like, it's it's fucking disgusting. It's right? disgusting. Like the the amount of money that they're going to spend in pursuit of whatever the next head coach ends up being. It's going to be 150 right. million dollars or and something by the still time not they're done. Going to wi- they're not going to succeed in whatever it is they're trying to do. Right, and isn't there but there is something admirable to I mean admirable <laughs> is definitely no. the wrong, it's definitely the wrong word. But like uh, there's something to be said for being the crazy rich oil tycoon right. who just wants his fucking team to win and is like, oh, I'll just pay the fucking money. Right. I want a championship. I'm going to pay the money in order to hopefully acquire a championship. And it is still just sort of luck of the draw, right? Like, to some extent, even if you put the best team on the field, uh, fucking football a is a shape. strange shape. It bounces oddly, and you never know what's going to happen, it, right? They, they still have to go out there and play it the games. Helps. I mean, 
the 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 these Texas A and M alums who have I guess all the they got like Saudi Arabian oil money uh, or something because they just have so much money where they don't care. It's just it's, it's just, just Texas Texas oil money <laughs> is a fine way money. of understanding it probably. <laughs> sure, they have so much money that. If it's gonna cost them twenty million dollars to like do a recruiting, whatever you know, pay some stupid company to look into it for some reason, and then pay another coach a hundred million dollars. At some point, somebody will tell them. Maybe some nerd with an Excel spreadsheet say, "If you're just throwing money around, the NIL route is the way to go. You can give." They knew that. They know that already. No, but overwhelm. I mean, because like. Just fly. I mean, if, you, if money is nothing to you, why not give like five million to each of these recruits? Like. They can have all the tattoos of because Georgia because that that can't make them win games. Right, but if you get like the it won't, absolute it wouldn't best. matter if you had fifty five stars yeah. recruited over the next two seasons, <laughs> right? Like if you just ran the you, table yeah. on the best players that's in the, the country. Thing. I think that it would matter uh, if you uh, can't absurd. manage that, them. I don't think that you l- just look at what Georgia and Alabama have done in terms of locking down the best high school players in the country since Kirby came to Georgia, basically. And, like, it, it's just the guys on the field. As much as I think it helps to have a but capable manager. But that's what manager, A&M has now. And it's not working. They don't. They're they're in the top ten, but they're not in the same league as the rest they've of the had country, a couple are of, they? Uh, like, they top am. three, top two. Recru- like, they've had, like, some good recruiting classes. It hadn't, you know, translated to success on the field. But Number five in the SEC, 11 nationally. Oh, that's why he's gone. Number 11 nationally, and you're like, yep, feeling pretty good. Oh, wait, we're fifth in the Southeastern Conference. <laughs> Middle of the pack in the SEC. Yep, number one recruiting class in 2022. Yeah. Here we are two years later. Fired. Sure. How many of them left after a season? How, how many of them? I don't think that many with the money. That's what I'm saying. Like, this would have been his year. With the recruiting class, like this would have been yeah, it. Yeah, sure. And I, it be, it proves that you can't just put a bunch of I, fucking good players that, on no, the field what I'm and saying, expect them to win. What I'm saying is that I, I'm not discounting your argument. I'm saying that one number one recruiting class doesn't mean a goddamn thing. It's a question of uh, build because a, a single recruiting class can you can just be wrong. But if you are consistently in the top five uh, in the country in terms of bringing in talent. Then the, the averages average out, and you're gonna just end up putting the best players on the field. And uh, for whatever it's worth, uh, I think that you can only fuck up a great football talent at this level so much, and it proves out in the draft. Like the reason that Ohio State and Michigan and Georgia and Alabama are so good is also because they keep putting all of these great players in the NFL every season, right? There are a million reasons, but it's not any one thing. It's a big pile of things. Do you think that uh, Texas and and Texas A&M gets like another like recycled coach or like they try to get somebody like that may be actually good? Like, oh, this guy's a big name. Let's just get him. Right? I don't it, know. There I don't... isn't anyone except Lane Kiffin and Dan Lanning and Dabo that that like would qualify as shown success Dabo would be an interesting hire for them i think but he won't and a potential upgrade but i doubt that he would go i'm sure he's paid handsomely at at clemson without having to bolt and he's i mean except for this weird recent thing like they love him they should uh they should consider that harbaugh guy from michigan like you know if this whole thing goes sideways he could just like fuck off 
and I get total control of Texas A&M. Yeah, but Harbaugh's a Michigan man, right? right? Like he, but, I mean, the, he did a some big, on, a big part of his. He, a big part of his appeal there is that he is of he is of the school and like won't be going right. anywhere. I don't but think he, this isn't going to cost him his fucking job. That would but be. But it absurd. depends on like what. Yeah. It, 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 wasn't it unusual that they announced like within twenty four hours of a game that he was going to be suspended? Like they, you must have some. That wasn't their decision. That was the big. Yeah, no, but you must have. You can't just act on just speculation to say you're out the whole rest of the season, like a day before one of the games that they're going to play. Like, so they must have something. What if this whole thing becomes a thing? He could just like say, fuck it. I was a Michigan man. And now I'm an oil man. No, that, but that was <laughs> the big 10 suspended him. It wasn't Michigan. Right, but suspending we're saying him. Like this could uh, uh, spell doom for him. Like what if there's like sanctions placed on the program? Right, right. Then he'll go to the NFL. No, he's not an NFL coach anymore. He's a crazy he's like person. A con- I, I, you'd be, You'd be out of your mind to hire him at the NFL, the, I think, at this The point. San Francisco 49ers experiment, I mean, he had great teams, but, like, apparently he was butting heads with a uh, GM. So, like, he wants, like, total control, and you can get that in college football more than you can get in the NFL. So, yeah, NFL could work, but he would have to want – he would have to say, I want to be a GM too, so I have full control. And they may not want to give him that. By the way, I should explain why I keep – Referring to Lane Kiffin as Lance Kiffin when Al Davis of the Raiders hired Lane to (laughs) become the new head coach of the Raiders. She introduced him as Lance Kiffin at their introductory (laughs) press conference. And so he will forever be Lance Kiffin. Speaking of, I think Dusty Baker once called Bryce Harper Bruce Harper, which is why I call him Bruce Hooper all the time now as well. Uh, when when Dusty was Bryce's coach, he accidentally called him Bruce Hooper in one of a in a, in a press conference. It was great. Those nicknames are always better when they're installed by people who are close to the person, and then it can still be used as an insult. And that's how you know it's that's how you know it's good. Anyway, that's enough talk about college football. I'm sure. Let's uh, talk get, about baseball too. Get into the WGAS news bag. Uh, last week. Was the uh, off-year elections, or off-off-year elections, you might even say. Uh, Kentucky had a big uh, gubernatorial race, and the uh, incumbent Democrat in a, in a red state won. That's uh, that Andy Bashir character. But he's a, he, My clients, friends, former student. No kidding. Look at that. That many degrees <laughs> <That's>, removed. <yeah. laughs> but he, he's like a, his old man was also governor. Of, of Kentucky, right? So that's why, like, it helps. Like, he's he's like a known name, and so like any sort of name. Yeah, he maintains popularity though, despite being. No, that's a, true. A, a but, sem- sem- but like, I, I think it helps. Like, where you have more uh, immediate information about somebody, otherwise people will fall back to like whatever the the uh, national party is. Like, like he kind of didn't have to like answer for anything that people don't like about. The National Democrats, right? Because like, oh, this is our guy, right? He does, he does manage to sort of close, close ranks around his state and not and 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 talk strictly in terms of what he's doing for Kentucky and has very little to say, seemingly, about uh, the National Democratic picture. Uh, a little bit closer to home, Virginia went the way of the Democrats as well. The uh, uh, Glenn Youngkin, who's the will be the governor here for the next two years, will not have a friendly House of Delegates and and Virginia State Senate. 
to work with. Basically, every race in the state that was close, that they thought they were going to pick up a, a, a Republican seat, did not go their way, with the exception of the lady who was uh, – we talked about her. She was a, a porn star. She had Oh, a, she, an, she, she lost? The chatterbait lady lost yeah. um, by like – but it was pretty close. I think she still ended up with like 47 percent of the vote or something like that. So didn't get throttled or anything, uh, but but she did lose. I did not mean to uh, make any yeah. s- sort of sexual yeah, that was uh, imagery little... there. She didn't. I mean, it's more violent. That's more violent. Yeah, she she didn't take a pounding or anything like that. Uh, certainly not on camera, but she did lose. So, and, so uh, going into it, uh, the House was on Youngkin's side, and he needed the Senate to flip to his side, like it was a split kind of. Thing, yeah, but- I think that he had a couple of seats advantage in the House, and then it was all but a tie, but the Democrats won the tiebreaker or something on the Senate yeah. side. I forget the exact details. And then this time the House ends up going for the Democrats, and they maintained control of the Senate. So uh, Youngkin's got a minority government now. He's got uh, – it's just him as the only uh, state Republican along with his uh, lieutenant governor, I guess. And then uh, both houses of the uh, Virginia Congress are now in Democratic control. Was, and uh, so there will, not, there will not be any successful attempt to do the 15-week abortion limit thing that he was hoping to get done in the state if he had, if he had gotten Republican control. So in Ohio, they, they had an actual – vote on abortion itself like was abortion the salient issue of virginia was it something else uh it wasn't nothing it wasn't nothing but like what seems to have fizzled out is whatever energy there was around the whole parents rights in schools stuff and and whatever energy there was around the assholes shut down the schools for COVID, uh, which is what that propelled him to win, right? Right. Yeah. What propelled him to office was the parents' rights conversation and the COVID conversation, and that seems to have have gone away. And yeah, I, I assume that the abortion stuff played uh, some minor role. Uh, the other Virginia news is that Abigail Spanberger, who's my dad's favorite, a, uh, a former CIA spook, so a uh, Democrat in northern Blonde Virginia woman. is going to give up her house seat that she has held on to, I think, for two or three cycles now. Uh, she will not seek re-election again and instead is going to run for governor two years from last week uh, to attempt to become the uh, Democratic governor of Virginia and probably has a pretty good chance of, this is because uh, of locking Virgi- that down. Virginia has that weird you can run back-to-back like right, Youngkin will yeah. not be permitted to run, and the chances that someone less crazy than Glenn Youngkin is the Republican nominee seem yeah. very slim right now. Um, they, they will almost certainly go in a more MAGA direction uh, is, next time around. Which is, by the way, weird, not only in the Virginia race in a couple of years, but also the feedback from many different states, like whether it's Kansas or Ohio or elsewhere, is that whatever the Republicans are pushing when it comes to abortion the general population is not for right and instead of taking that like okay right. uh, you mentioned ohio ohio goes and uh, i think with 56 percent of the vote passes uh, or re-enshrines abortion into the state constitution 
and then also passes legal weed uh, yeah. in in some form. I'm not sure on the exact details, uh, and probably with these referenda, like Ohio probably isn't quite sure on the details as far as what legal weed means uh, there. But yeah, you're right. The Republicans don't seem to recognize when they've lost an issue. And if we have anything to go on uh, based on the last uh, few cycles, it's that they have thoroughly lost on the abortion question, that the overturning of Roe v. Wade has resulted in loss after loss after loss at the state level uh, in places where you would think that they would have a chance of right. of gaining uh, successes as far as changing the laws to outlaw abortion. There'll likely be people who are still going to try to push for some sort of national, nationwide ban going to the 24. It seems like if you just don't talk abortion, like they would have, they would stand a better chance, but like they can't like help themselves. So Tim Scott and uh, whatever. So Tim Scott believed that you could pass a national abortion limit or ban at 15 weeks. That's his entire thing. He says that they need to have the moral courage to do it. And then uh, that's what he said at the Republican debate last Wednesday night, and then he uh, dropped out on <laughs> Sunday night. That's um, Lindsey Graham's uh, position too, right? The other right, set. also Lindsey Graham's position. Uh, Mike Pence was the other one who wanted to pass a. That was who I was trying to think of. Mike Pence okay. wanted to pass a national ban, and he has since dropped out. Nikki Haley is easily the least insane person on abortion yes. on the Republican ticket right now, except I suppose Chris Christie isn't a complete crazy person uh, in terms of the politics of it. DeSantis signed a six-week bill, I believe, in Florida and is sort of waffly and not clear on what he would do if such and such a bill were to cross his uh, presidential desk. But Nikki Haley seems to basically be saying, look, this is one that's a political loser for us and we should allow the states to do what states are going to do but otherwise not uh, make too big a stink of it. And it's it's bad for us politically to continue to do so. Did you catch any of the Republican debate the other night? I was going to, uh, like the following day, like I, I, uh, I was watching a movie the night of, um, I was like, oh, I'll just watch it the next day. But like, there were, it just sounded very chaotic. Like, I, It I was wasn't like, bad in terms of like the political wonkery of it in terms of watching a bunch of semi-capable politicians stand on a stage and have a serious discussion about how they felt or, or how they would act as president and and what their positions are and having a semi-substantive debate on important questions of the day, like what's going on in Israel and what's going on in Ukraine and even some of the domestic stuff. It was better than anything I've seen the Republicans put together uh, over the course of the last many years at this point. And then like an hour into it, something clicked in my head where I was like, oh, but wait, this doesn't fucking matter at all. Like this, this has, this is completely in con This has nothing to do with anything because Donald Trump is going to be the nominee it's for this party unless he okay. dies. Right. Like unless he right. fucking just dies or, or some other weird act of God happens. It's going to be Donald Trump. This right. doesn't matter at all. And they're not even really acknowledging that fact as they're having these uh, relatively adult discussions about things. Vivek uh, Ramaswamy uh, notably accepted right. uh, being uh, something of a, a weirdo clown up there and whose foreign policy is just a complete fucking disaster and, and exists in this world of 
of total fantasy in terms of like, well, I would just fucking fix it. Like I would just tell Ukraine that they have no claim over this amount of territory and they should give it to Russia and Russia should be happy with this amount of territory. And they will be so because I say so. And that's how the world gets better is that I just fucking fixed it. And like that everything's fine after that. It's like, oh. Why didn't we try that before? Like, what, oh, this guy really might be onto something here. That's what Donald Trump says. Right. right. The, the uh, 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 Vivek uh, comes across as like an inter- internet troll come to life, but like people love easy solutions to like complex things. Like even if it's like implausible, like there's going to be somebody that's like, yeah. Just press the easy button. Why don't we just do that? It's like, like no. uh, uh, giving New Mexico to the Jews, for example. <laughs> <laughs> the easy button. So I, I did not watch the debate, uh, but Tim, Tim Scott, like you say, uh, did drop out. Was a poor showing the reason, or just like he just like was looking at the numbers in Iowa and was like, "Well, fuck this." Anyways, he like- wasn't any worse than he was in any of the other performances that I've seen him do. Like he's yeah. he was fine. He just. There's just seemingly – I imagine he just reaches a point where it's like, well, this is just stupid. Like this is – why am I continuing to but do this thing had, that I, I have had, no chance of succeeding in? He had all this information before he got in, right? It, it's weird how he wanted to like be a quote-unquote like the positive message guy in the era of Trump. Yeah, my hope is that – Scott's departure is the first – well, not the first because Mike Pence quit a couple weeks ago also, but is the the next in a quick series of departures from this race. It's time for Burgum to go. Uh, he's still hanging on despite not making the debate stage. Asa Hutchinson obviously is not going to be the nominee here. It's time for him to go as well. Vivek isn't going to go anywhere no matter what. So uh, hoping that he leaves doesn't fucking matter, but uh, he'll stick around until the bitter end, no doubt. But this needs to come down to just Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis. As much as I sort of like Chris Christie and I think he's effective up there as far as being a, a halfway decent politician who's able to talk and act on his feet in a way that makes sense without Donald Trump on the stage his presence doesn't make a whole lot of sense and like he's not going to be the nominee as long as Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis are options. Uh, This is a conversation that's ultimately going to come down to uh, a contest between Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis. And the quicker we can get down to that, the quicker we can eliminate one of them, hopefully before the primaries happen so that we can get to the first primaries the the Iowa and then the the primaries that follow that where it's just a contest between either Nikki Haley and Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump and it, it would be very much to my preference for it to be Nikki Haley I think she's got a pretty reasonable chance at actually defeating Donald Trump if it came down to that in terms of a, a one-on-one contest he has a substantial floor he has a a, a base of support that's definitely not going anywhere uh, some somewhere in uh, the 40% range certainly uh, of of republicans who will just vote for him no matter what i think that nikki haley has the strongest chance of being the one who can take him out she represents enough of a difference in a way that desantis doesn't uh that that she could unite 
the anti-Trump or at least the, uh, a combination of the anti-Trump remains of the party with the people who were just ready to move on to the next thing. And DeSantis, like, he just seems like such a weenie up there. Like, I just do not trust him when he's up there acting as a uh, politician, when he's performing what he believes the base wants to hear. He doesn't seem like an authentic human being at all. He seems like a, a dirtbag politician pretending to be a thing that people want to see. Whereas when he's off the stage, when he's talking to the media afterwards, he comes across as a much more appealing figure, which is not what you want in a politician. You don't want someone who, when they get up on the stage, doesn't actually seem like the same person that they are off of it. And then yeah. you watch him in the interview afterwards where he's talking about his performance of the debate. And it's like, oh, there's the real guy. Yeah. Like, and he's much, more, he's much more appealing as that guy calling the balls and strikes afterwards, even though he's not actually calling the balls and strikes. But, but like as a, a person yeah. in conversation as a normal human being with uh, people who, by the way, he thinks of as his people, right? Because he went right. to fucking the Ivy Leagues, right? So he's talking to fellow media people. Like yeah. these are the people who he's more more comfortable communicating with, not whatever fake version of himself he's putting on for real America to try to glom onto. He's, he's, I don't get it. And at least Nikki is a, a sort of natural in that respect where she's and, – and, and sincere and serious, right? And, 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 and say what you will about her sort of neocon leanings perhaps and the, and the bullshit conservatism that comes along with the Nikki Haley. But like I think Nick and I, I, I really think Nikki Haley would kick Donald Trump's ass too. Like I, I think that we'd be in an hurt. actual like no, she wouldn't. I mean, she's she's a much more competent, much better candidate. I would rather her than him. I think but that like, in a, I think that on the debate stage, she would she would infuriate him and humiliate him. She's getting uh, ruffled by Vivek, the, a poor man's Trump. Like you don't think Trump? She's would- ruffled. She's ruffled in a way. I mean, I and I, I didn't love the this the the aside that she had where she said, sort of semi under her breath, "You're like, just scum." Like I, I find that distasteful and something that, I mean, it's absurd of me to expect anything to be above any Republican politician at this point. But it would be to my preference that Nikki Haley did not say you're just scum about a fellow political rival, even one who's behaving as distastefully and childishly and and troll-like as Vivek is. Uh, Yes, uh, that's unfortunate. I think that Vivek also, and I don't want to get into the weird psychology here, uh, but there's something about the two Indians on the stage that I think, like, I, I think he gets under her skin in a way that that is much more real than uh, she'd like to let on. Whereas with Trump, it would be more of a game, right? right. And in the same way that it would be with the other ones. Like, I think she really, really hates Vivek Ramaswamy. Yeah. And I think it's because I think there's some weird Indian stuff going on there that I'm not uh, personally privy to, right. but I think it's real. Yeah, I, I, I think, like, Obviously, I mean, Trump is going to continue his I'm not going to bother with the debate at this stage. You know, he'll definitely will, will want to debate Biden in the general, but he's think like he's above the the primary debates. Uh, but right, but this is why it's crucial for DeSantis and Haley to go at it one-on-one and then hopefully for DeSantis to go ahead and drop out, assuming that Nikki Haley can cement a second-place like situation second. there. Yeah, but then okay. Right? It, and that gives, you, that gives you a true contest in a primary of, of interest, right? Because if it's, if it's a one-on-one situation rather than – a three or four person race going into the first few primaries, 
you might get an actual competition that says, here we have, uh, we know that Trump's base is strong and the floor is like 40 percent seemingly, right? There's no getting around it. How much more of the uh, normie Republicans can he amass? And and in a in a one on one fight, I think that would be interesting. And anything more than that, I think that that Trump probably prevails. You know, in in that, unlike I still think that's unlikely because it'll be stubborn, like DeSantis and others who are going to stick around longer than their so viability. They've, but they've cleared out quicker than I thought they would, right? That don't, is true. Don't you think yeah. that they've they've cleared out quicker? I mean, I didn't think Pence was going anywhere until yeah. Iowa. I didn't yeah. think that Tim Scott would go anywhere before Iowa, but they they have. And so, and and I agree. Like, there's a ton of money here, right? And 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 uh, Haley has committed to spending, I think, ten or fifteen million dollars, like basically right now. Right. Uh, with Tim Scott out, she's going to dump a whole bunch of money into Iowa in the hopes of uh, some very favorable polls coming out that would cement her as a as a second place, which would hopefully push somebody like Chris Christie out of the race, right? right. You say, okay, Chris, you're only polling at fucking 4% or something or lower. Uh, Asa Hutchinson, you got to go. Burgum, you got to go. I'm, I'm the... I'm on the come, right? I mean, yeah. DeSantis started out as the as the prohibitive favorite here. Uh, even against Trump, he was polling fairly well. And he's been nothing but on the downhill for the last year. And I've only been uh, going up. And, and everybody else get out of the way. So if – yeah, so let's say that happens and Haley – comes decisively second Iowa, New Hampshire, you know, like the first few states. Like it's not like back and forth. It is consistently Haley coming in second, you know, like like at twenty percent, let's say, and, and Donald Trump is winning it. Uh, but the, like DeSantis is like way, way back, way back, and he decides like, fuck it, I'll just get out. And now it is Haley Trump. I mean, your boy Bergram and them could be uh, on the sidelines, but like basically it's like those two. Right. There are a handful of open primary states right so like it's not like it's just like the moderate republicans voting haley and the maga types voting for trump you you'll have people who are democrats uh in the open primary states get the republican primary which is allowed uh and vote for haley so like is there i mean i could kind of see that kind of snowballing against trump like to where He's right. Getting- so have the Democrats learned their lesson? Whereas in 2016, uh, Hillary Clinton was excited to run against Donald Trump, and she would have she would have probably the, like the the Clinton machine would have told Democrats in open primary states uh, to go out and vote for Donald Trump. Have they learned that lesson? I mean, Will they, they must, go out because because if Trump makes it through, it's a coin flip. You know, I know the polls come one way or the other, but it'll be a close election, right? So why? With the benefit of hindsight, like this happened before. It's not like a hypothetical. This has happened before. He made it through right. and then won the whole thing. I don't well, know what Virginia's situation is on that front anymore because in 2016, I voted in the Republican primary for precisely this reason that I, I just – it was too late, unfortunately. It didn't matter. Like Trump was already running away with things. Uh, but I voted in the Republican primary in order to vote against Donald Trump and – didn't fucking work out. I, th- I believe I voted for Marco Rubio. Fucking God help me. Um, <laughs> I think I did too, maybe. That sounds familiar. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then uh, in 2020, they changed it uh, where they, they had a like a drive-through Republicans only. You must be registered by 18 months ahead of time as a Republican. And we, you have, we have to see the 
fucking tattoo of the elephant on your ass in order to vote in this primary. And also you have to have a MAGA hat on in order to vote in this primary. Like he made some bullshit up that made it much harder for uh, interested parties who were not committed Republicans to vote uh, in the Republican primary. I'm not sure where, where that stands right now. Uh, I so, should probably look into that. According to Ballotpedia, like Virginia is among the 20 that are open, like Georgia okay. is as well. Yeah. So, yeah, so oh, like you could have, I mean, and at that point, you know, I'm sure Trump will say that th- these are not legitimate, uh, whatever. So, I'm going to try to, t- you know, commandeer my uh, Republican uh, Party nomination at the convention, you know, have like some sort of old school convention brouhaha. Yeah, maybe. Uh, assuming he's not in prison at that point, I suppose. <laughs> he's not going to be in prison. A uh, pop quiz, hotshot. Who's oh. the Speaker of the House? The porn addict, uh, Mike Johnson. Ah, oh, there you go. Got the name right and everything. I was going to give you a, uh, a multiple choice where it's like Mike Johnson or John Michelson or, <laughs> or Mick Jansen uh, to try to throw you off. But you... Uh, <laughs> You called it outright. What percentage of your fellow Americans do you think could name the current Speaker of the House? That's I'm going to say it's uh, over under like three and a half percent. Yeah, I'm going to. I'll ask my uh, Biffler friends uh, when I see them next. Uh, I, yeah, I don't. I don't think many. This guy. I mean, he's uh, he's tried to distance himself from some of the stuff that he wrote in the early 2000s when we were having our gay marriage fights, and that was all the rage. But there's one in particular. And there's like a half a dozen of these uh, editorial op-eds that he wrote back in the day. Um, he was a he was an attorney with the goal of uh, trying to get these anti-sodomy laws to to keep them on the books. Like he was a, he was paid to do this work, so who knows how sincerely he held some of these beliefs but for what it's worth he continues to present himself in, in in his political role as someone who takes seriously a lot of the christian conservative stuff uh as as you say that you mentioned the porn thing he he had a buddy system where he and his 17 year old son oh, had a system what lord embarrassing oh do you know about this no he had a buddy system set up so that his browser would alert his 17 year old son anytime he went somewhere naughty on the internet with all of the relevant details about where he had been that's just a that's how you and also that sounds to me like sharing here look at this porn right. right and also he got alerts whenever his son went anywhere naughty on the internet and also had access to his entire uh uh search and browsing history uh so that that sort of thing is continuing he seems to be proud be proud of of this aspect of his life including uh when he was made speaker of the house talking about all of the time that his wife had spent on her knees over the course of the last uh, couple of weeks uh, in prayer, to be clear, she was in prayer in in com- in commune with the Lord, not any other such disgusting acts you might be thinking of. That's you doing the work there, not me. But uh, my favorite of his many op eds 
starts with uh, the headline, Justices Take Swipe at American Values. The Supreme Court ruled 6-3 in Lawrence v. Texas to strike down the Texas homosexual sodomy law and thereby the similar sodomy laws of 12 other states, including Louisiana. The ruling has huge implications in the battle for the culture and has dealt a devastating blow to fundamental American values and millennia of moral teaching. Tell me more about this devastating blow, Mike. Anyway, the op-ed concludes with the following. Lawrence was not about the persecution of minority, but whether states have authority to regulate dangerous sexual conduct. According to six judicial activists at our nation's highest court, they no longer do. By closing these bedroom doors, they have opened a Pandora's box. That's a Republican talking about how the government should have easy access yeah, to your the bedroom most window. Like thing. he said it. He just he said it. Like it's funny when they say it out loud like that. Yeah. But like the government should be peeping into your bedroom window to make sure you're not doing the naughty thing is fucking nuts. And this guy is now the Speaker of the House. Now, like I said, he's tried to distance himself from some of this stuff. He said, I was an attorney working to achieve certain ends. But, like, it's fucking creepy and weird. And uh, it, it it's crazy to me that that is the sort of Republican who has been able to rise through the ranks over the course of the last 20 years uh, to the point where he becomes the not insane option for, uh, uh, to be the Speaker of the House. You know, um, the, the this techno- keeping each other honest when it comes to porn technology, like there are – I'm not the most proficient person in the internet, but there's – Many ways you can get around it, right? So the only reason why you would be promoting this thing is to give the appearance that you're not watching porn while actually and to watching share porn. porn. Right. right. Or or to share pornography like with Letterboxd? your 17-year-old like, oh, son. This guy is watching <laughs> this <That's lady>. right. <laughs> But like to me, it's like there are – I mean you could just – I mean – Maybe he's just addicted to it. I don't get it, but like that—that that is a very strange arrangement to have with a uh, a child. I mean, a seventeen-year-old kid. Why is he responsible for your whatever issues you have? I don't know, but apparently the young ones and the porn are out of control. Yeah. Have you noticed <laughs> all of the dick medicine gear? The commercials, yes, geared towards like young men. That is, yeah, porn. Look. Uh, I don't want to get into anything personal here. And I'm talking to you, uh, algorithms, you Facebook algorithms, you Google ad algorithms, whoever else algorithms are listening. They're they're just following your clicks. I don't need the dick pills, all right? (laughs) Uh, And it's nothing... But hymns commercials. This right. this hymns the the. It's apparently a real problem. The girls I work with. I get tell nothing. Me these stories. I get nothing but dick pill ads and weed ads now. Like my Facebook that's feed. That's not nothing, but you get lingerie. Oh, uh, that's ads. true. I also get the weird like uh, they make these these robes that the the. Don't tell your wife about the robe. Don't tell your wife about the 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 butt underwear because we're gonna all the underwear is just butts now. It's just like the. Baby suits i saw a video of a surprise wave on on twitter the other day like something happened in rio de janeiro where the a bunch of people were just sitting peacefully on the beach 
And uh, rather suddenly, a massive wave appears and comes onto the beach and wipes out all of the the happy beachgoers. Not in a violent, uh, deadly sort of way, but in a in a like fucking. All of a sudden, there's a 15 foot swell and it comes up 40 feet further than any other wave had before, and all of their stuff gets taken away. Right, but the that was an interesting uh, climatological event that happened there on the on the beach, but also. All of the butts were, were also there on display. And if I could find the video, like, and it's, it's like there's the 13-year-old child. Her whole ass is out. There's her 45-year-old mother. And her whole ass is out. It's just a world awash. We're just asses out in now. In butts now. And, and apparently also in my Facebook ads, it's all just underwear with all of the butts out all of the time. But the porn uh, is apparently a problem. Apparently, it's contributing to the ability of uh, 20-something-year-old men to get and maintain erections during— In real life. Is it— They can't do it in real life. Real-life sexual uh, interactions. Is it uh, the excessive porn uh, viewing and, like, is there any component of, like— It's because they've been watching porn. They've been watching whatever fucked-up porn they've been watching— Whatever they're into, I'm not judging. Right. But the point is they've been watching this porn since they were, like, teens, like, young. Oh, it's worse than teens. It's younger than that. Whatever. They've been watching it since they were children or whatever. And then now they're in their 20s and, like, real life is not living up to the porn. Wow. I'm sure there's going to be some Apparently this is a thing. I'm sure there's going to be some sort of uh, health ramification of, like, getting on this pill regimen at this early stage, right? I mean, like, wasn't well, wasn't the <laughs> you got to start taking dick no. pills at 25? <laughs> what are they going to be shooting into you at 55? Jesus! <laughs> you think uh, you we'll like wouldn't it be e- easier and cheaper just to kind of take a, a you know a, a break from from porn watching for a few months to but get reset? You, no, because this is from a young age. A break isn't going to do it. It's like, like the, it's rewiring their brain forever. Like they can't take like a year no, off. Very, very adaptable. Uh, the both the man and the boner, very adaptable. I'm sure that they could be retrained. Um, why are we talking about this? How did that come? Because up? of the Speaker of the House or some boring oh, bullshit? Oh, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, uh, Abe, he's about to run into the same problem that the last asshole ran into, right? Which yeah. is that he's going to try passing these continuing resolutions, and isn't that what pissed off the? The MAGA types in the house to begin with, right, right? Right. We have a deadline coming up this week or next week, right before yeah, so Thanksgiving. The end of this week, the seventeenth, uh, is the next cutoff. So, like you would think, they would just do like some sort of kick the can down the road thing, but the, who knows? But like, that's this what is, the last guy was doing. Yeah. So why is it acceptable now? But it's uh, not. I mean, is it, it's, it's, it seems like they, the chances of of uh, a shutdown is going to increase as the week kind of goes on because. You're right. Like, what? What? What's the argument now? Like, if you're going to do the same thing that the other guy did, right? Anyway, Mike Johnson is, aside from the weird religious stuff, is as boring as his name suggests, and we don't have to talk about him any further. All right, I will quickly play this. I think this is worth commenting on. Uh, Aaron Mate is a, a journalist, independent style journalist with an outlet that we've talked about briefly before called the. Gray Zone News. Uh, he also co-hosts the podcast uh, Useful Idiots. My interaction with him is uh, relatively uh, minimal, but he was on the Amtrak fortuitously, one might say, seated directly across from Senator 
Chris Coons, and they had the following interaction. Senator, I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but why why not call for a ceasefire in Gaza? I'm a journalist. My name's Aaron Maté. Why not call for a ceasefire in Gaza? You have 4,600 children killed. 46. I know it's a quiet card. I apologize for abuse, but I understand. But children are dying. Children are dying, sir. More than 40. Why not call for a ceasefire? They're being killed with our weapons. U.S. weapons are killing kids in Gaza. Who are you? My name is Aaron Maté. I'm a journalist. Nice to meet you, Aaron. Likewise. Please stop talking to me. I'm sorry, sir. It's of dire importance. More than 11,000 civilians is we're Who talking being killed. I'm a journalist with for? for the gray zone. What's the gray zone? It's a it's a U.S. based uh, news website. Good for you. Thank you. And and right now with Aaron, with our support, kids stop. are being killed. I'm sorry. I, with our please weapons, stop. I'm asking you to explain why not call Aaron, for a ceasefire. You're bothering me and everyone else around. Kids in Gaza are being massacred. I'm asking you, please explain. Why not call for a ceasefire? Stop. Sir, could I please have some help here? Kids are being killed please with our stop. weapons. I'm asking you to stop. Why not stop? The, this is why not call for the stop and go home? You're bothering everybody else it's around a, It's a crisis How right now. How did you now. get this seat? I bought the seat. No. He's bothering me while He's I'm trying to work. And our government is paying for weapons that are murdering children. Guys, I'm asking him why I call for a ceasefire. Aaron. Can you explain that? Please stop. Can I ask you to explain why I call for a You've ceasefire? You've already asked me five times. I'm not going to call for explain? a ceasefire. I strongly support humanitarian pauses. I've urged the Israeli government to target their campaign against Hamas. Do you think the campaign is targeting against Hamas when civilians are being massacred, when babies in incubators are are dying because the fuel is being cut off? I'm going to have you thrown off this train. Please stop doing this. I have to ask these questions. I know, and I will keep. You're getting as professional, measured, and appropriate an answer out of me as you can. This is not professional journalism. Please get up and leave now. I don't think it's humane to be massacring kids. That's the problem here. I I realize I'm not being professional. I don't think it's humane to be massacring kids either. Okay, then and why I are we supporting Hamas it? Hamas massacred 1,400 Israeli civilians. Uh-huh. The whole world should unite in opposition to terrorism. First of all, the number is 1,200. It wasn't entirely civilians, but regardless. How many civilians well, were massacred it's important, by Hamas? It's, it's important to be precise. It's important, and, and, it is important to be precise. But yes, civilians were massacred. I'm second, a senator. Second, this is the right a to quiet keep. car. You're breaking the basic rules of how we operate on Amtrak. Okay, and the question Please is... stop. And I believe we're breaking international law okay. by supporting Thanks massacres of civilians. Yes. You've had a lot of my time. Please move on. Why not at least right. call for a ceasefire? All right. Uh, that's the entirety of the exchange. It's uh, just shy of three minutes. We'll get to a couple of the more humorous points in a minute, but... One thing that infuriates me to no end is Aaron Mate saying it's important to be accurate. Uh, when To be precise, he says 1,400 uh, Israelis were murdered by Hamas on October 7th. He's like, well, actually, it was 1,200, and they weren't all civilians. And it's important to be precise. Meanwhile, he's taking the word of Hamas spokespeople for that number about the 11,000 dead and the 4,600 of them being children. There's no, there's no accounting whatsoever for that in any uh, reasonable, objective sort of way. That's 
a total lack of precision that the, he, no one can actually point. I mean, to, I know it's gross, but like you cannot point to the bodies. Whereas the the Israeli side originally said it was something like 1,200. And then after a week's worth of work, they were like, maybe it's 1,400. And then after another month's worth of work of like uh, dental records and DNA tests, because they're putting fucking bodies back together, then they come out and... and uh, uh, responsibly adjust the number themselves back down to 1200 right like it's not like aaron mate was going through the lists of people and it was like nope you guys lied about the 1400 and it's actually 1200 and the israeli government was like oh yep you got us no that came from the israeli government they're the ones who adjusted the number back down from 1400 to 1200 something that hamas would never do in this sort of a situation right, right. and it would be absurd to even consider that they might so it's important to be precise. Like, what are you talking about, Aaron? The the call for the the ceasefire. Are they saying uh, unilateral ceasefire? Because there there isn't any expectation that it's going to be both ways, right? There is even right. like, and I don't like to I don't like talking points on either, either end. But the talking point response to that ceasefire talk is like there was a ceasefire that was broken on October 7th when thousands of uh, Hamas militants came across the border and started shooting up families as they were getting up for breakfast. Right. Like that. Who, who gets to set the terms of the ceasefire here? Right. And what like and under what like. A ceasefire, yeah, sure. Hand over the 200-odd hostages that you've taken and uh, renounce your claim to authority in the area because you've already done so. You want to talk about violations of international law, you stupid motherfucker? That's the conversation you want to have when Hamas is the one who came across the border and opened fire on families as they slept, right? Like, what are we talking about we're worried about? Why is the only standard for international law— on these assholes, there's no coherence right. to this conversation whatsoever. You're not being a serious goddamn person when you play these sorts of games, and it drives me up a goddamn wall that they that that, that the self importance of it all, right? right? These are not serious people, right. but you put a fucking phone in their hands and a microphone in front of their face and a hundred thousand followers on Twitter, and now all of a sudden they think they have some sort of moral clarity or moral or or or, or position of moral superiority. Over the goddamn adults in the room, and it just like it, it infuriates me to no end. Uh, how? What was the general play online with this? Because like you know the the senator. Kind I don't know. Of, I haven't seen it. I, I just I haven't seen any of the reaction okay. to it. Only the video. Because you know, as far as how to respond, like it was kind of a pretty textbook. Like they didn't overreact. It was like, hey, we're in this quiet car or whatever. Like. What are you doing? Right. And that's fucking silly, right? Like, that's a, that's a thing that will play on SNL. Like, sir, this is the quiet car. <laughs> there are rules here. I'm up, buddy. Somebody's asking you about dead children, about U.S. complicity in terms of the uh, dead kids in the incubators in a hospital in Gaza. And your concern is the quiet car ethics or whatever that's yeah. at play here. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's an obvious absurdity. But I was – and now this is on to something – slightly related but i was listening to mike pesca's the gist podcast his episode from last tuesday as i was walking around the grocery store on wednesday afternoon he goes i don't want to play clips but it's a it's a 12 minute segment in which he talks about how joe biden had mentioned like october 9th or 10th or something like right in the immediate aftermath of this in his first press conference 
after the attacks of October 7th, he mentioned that he had seen pictures of beheaded Israeli babies, right? Like he, he, he seemed to confirm the existence of pictures of beheaded Israeli babies, and that turned out to be false. Right. Like he either misspoke or he, he said something that was inaccurate that he had seen somewhere else. But like he uh, – like whatever. If you want to call that a vast Zionist conspiracy, I think you're out of your goddamn mind. Uh, but fine. He said the wrong thing. And then, by the way, again, in keeping with everything else – the institutional media and the and the the re- relevant government institutions in charge here corrected the narrative right. right and they corrected it by showing us the absolute abject horror of what actually happened on that day right. and if like <laughs> i get i got emotional walking through the grocery store listening to this stupid fucking podcast about this because we are trying to parse the relevant moral framework of murdered children, right? And like, there's not any question about whether or not children were murdered that day. It's a question of in what fashion were yeah. they murdered and whether or not Roger Waters thought that like it was being politicized in a way that was uh, uh, out of proportion with the way that it ought to be politicized. Like, will you, Explain to me precisely, Roger, uh, what the correct proportion is in terms of uh, how you're supposed to respond to video of uh, a 20-year-old dude with a, a, a Kalashnikov and a knife who'd just gone into a room and, 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 and is now on the phone with his family back in Gaza celebrating the fact that he just killed 10 Jews, right. right? I'm a hero. I'm going to live in paradise forever, mom and dad. Aren't you proud? And you know what? They sound semi-horrified. Like, they, they sound sort of out of sorts. I don't know what their reaction is, but they don't seem to be the fucking, uh, the, the same sort sort of jihadist maniac that their son is on the on the other end of the phone and that's a fucking tragedy right for that family right to say nothing of the victims that he had just slaughtered right like this is a an unspeakable tragedy of of proportions that cannot be fully understood by any one human being and the idea that somehow Aaron Maté and these other assholes have figured things out in such a way that they can uh, get on their uh, own personal moral high horse and, and Roger Waters, too. And now I'm just fucking rambling. But it just, it's, it's just despicable. You know, the, the, uh, that, that episode uh, from Pesca's podcast, uh, I listened to it after uh, when you mentioned it. Um, and my takeaway was that it, it appears to be like uh, – there is this uh, interest to manage the optics of the side that you're on. So, like, you want to minimize any sort of advantage you can gain from a bad story that the other side commits. Because we're all fucking pundits now. We're right. all just stupid fucking pundits in search of uh, a win for our side. We doesn't have anything to do with us. Right. That, that's... We're just assholes on the other right. end of a phone right. who got some bullshit from some asshole on TikTok or Twitter. Right. Like, what do you? What, you have no skin in this game. Right. But but yet they 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 line up to to find some sort of angle. Like the there is what what is it called atrocity story? Like there's always like this is like. Not only like a bad thing, but it's an exceedingly bad thing, and I think that's what they were they were harping on the the way that the babies were killed, right? They say like this is being used as like look at the savagery, right? And so they're trying to minimize that story, even though the you know kids and others, civilians mostly died in that assault, right? Uh, 
it's kind of similar to like the the hospital. Remember the hospital story? Like speaking of like striving for accuracy no matter what, where it's like oh, it's not fourteen hundred, it's twelve hundred. When that incorrect information came from God, from Hamas, saying there was five hundred people, Israel did it. Even though there was, as the days unfolded, evidence, strong evidence, showing that that's not what happened. The, the the side that wanted that to be true that Israel did like an atrocity committed an atrocity of like attacking a, a hospital uh, and killing 500 people they wanted that story to remain true and so like they minimized the correction like so correction wasn't important because it didn't serve the purposes that they're going for right but with the with the baby beheading story even though that was corrected. Uh, that wasn't good enough. Like, oh, you you got it wrong the first time, and you were trying to do a thing. So it's kind of a it kind of shows a bias, like what you want. Like you want to minimize any sort of bad things that happen on one side, which you should never want to do. Like anytime something bad happens, it's bad. Like there's no offsetting penalties, as I say. There's no like you're not like a good person for minimizing, <laughs> you know, like innocent people getting killed, whichever side that you're on. Uh, but right. for some reason, they think that this is a strong argument, the ceasefire, because I'm wondering why isn't the next question, what happens if the ceasefire breaks? Like, what if Hamas immediately takes advantage, right? I mean, they, they don't have... Which, by the way, they have, they, they their spokespeople have said right. October 7th was the first of many, right? Right. This is the first flood. There will be more floods to come. That's their language. That's what they insist, right? right? This is a, This is an existential war for them. Right? right? That's the terms of the debate that you're engaging right. in, right? That these people believe that Israel has no has no ongoing right to exist. And if you want to say that, that, that there are various ter- territorial claims here that are in dispute and, like, who knows what the correct solution would be, fine. But uh, whatever. Right. I, and this is maybe slightly beside the point. But, like, show me the person who talks in these terms about colonizers and settler colonialists and and white supremacy culture and uh, the return of land to the rightful owners and that sort of thing, who doesn't also insist that every migrant from the global south, from the uh, exploited, developing or second or third world must be accepted unquestionably into this country, into America, right, or other Western countries. And then not be expected to assimilate, but expected to continue to perform their culture here, distinct and free, that assimilation itself is a sin of the highest order, that even the desire for it among some migrants is just internalized white supremacy. That is a a contradiction that they can't possibly fucking satisfy, right? These people believe that uh, to to leave one's land and to go somewhere else is is colonization, right. and that the the bringing of your culture to that place would be absolutely unacceptable. Oh, but only if you're white, right? And that's that's that that's where they would say I'm missing the rest of the story here. That I am a, a victim and a perpetrator of white supremacy, Be- and, and which makes this a, a an ideology utterly indistinguishable from any other major organized religion. This is a uh, this is about a fundamental uh, truth that uh, whiteness, that white supremacy is an unalloyed evil and must be defeated at all costs. That is their underlying uh, religious fundamental belief, and they will not be swayed from it. Also, there, there's like the more you think about it, 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 it becomes kind of clear. Maybe this is not charitable for me to say, but there's not a lot of thought put behind some of these the statements people say when they say ceasefire. Like, did you think through that? 
like at all? Like, no. Usually, it's not. It's like I just want to. I want an easy answer. <laughs> like, see, like you know, for some reason, people love the easy answer. It's like. What's when I was 10 years old, I was against abortion because I thought it was bad that babies would be killed in their mother's wombs. That was my understanding of what abortion was, right? Because I was a fucking child who had been told to think a certain way about the world, and it was explained to me in a way that made sense to my child brain. In the same way, when I see uh, some former high school classmate of mine with the child with their, their Facebook or Instagram story who's holding their uh, uh, free pal. Palestine uh, thing, right? They're, they're holding their poster that says "Free Palestine" on it. Like, what? What are you doing? Yeah. What? You you don't understand the world any better than the ten year old with the poster does, and 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 that sort of moral clarity doesn't actually reveal anything about a complex world. It doesn't tell you anything about the way that the world actually is. It's a it's a, a hope and a wish and a dream uh, fully contained there in the palm of your hand that has no impact whatsoever on, on the way that the world actually is. Right. Right. Are we going to play the music game? Yes. All right. Let's play the Billboard Hot 100 fun, game. Fun, fun, fun. I uh, took a peek at the new Billboard Hot 100. If we get a number in the top 40... Yeah. There's like a really good chance that we're getting a Taylor Swift song because like the entire <laughs> top goddamn forty is Taylor this Swift. This is her songs. year, right? I mean, holy shit, this woman. All right, I have uh, rolled the die. Die, uh, die. Both, yeah, both of them. Uh, dice. Then you've rolled the dice. We are going to number twenty-eight on the Hot One Hundred chart, and the number a year is number seven. Yeah, number seven would be 1989, because uh, number one is is 1983, right? 1983 is number one. So we will also be going to 1989 and finding uh, this week's... Which is a Taylor Swift album. Number, well, how about that? (laughs) Number 28. All right, number 28 for this week is Shake It Off by Taylor Swift. There you go. Oh, man. See, this, that doesn't count, This is though. bad news. This is really bad no, news. No, 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 Because Shake It Off came out. This doesn't count. Sorry, Taylor's version came out uh, relatively recently. It is from the album 1989. But it came out in 2014. Well, I don't know what but to tell you. It's in this year. It is the 28th most popular song this week on the Billboard Hot 100. I mean, I think that said, I think that, not that I want to end the game, but if the most popular song from now is from fucking 10 years ago, we have a problem. It's a quick, quick clip from this song, which might be her single most popular. The only one I know. She is deeply unappealing to me uh this is uh i'm no doubt a personal problem she's obviously objectively a very pretty human being right you she were has, into her for a minute i was not ever into her that is you're false. lying she, she, what was i into there was a music video that she looked pretty in when it was still country music and you were like she's cute this is a problem with a wife with a good memory she might just be making shit up and i have no way no. of knowing no, when we were in your the apartment that you shared with Lisa in the bed watching music videos in the morning. She's pretty, but for whatever reason, she's deeply unappealing to me. 
I don't have an opinion on that song. I will acknowledge it's, it's, it's catchy. It's that good. it's a catchy that's and her only lasting hit and good pop oh. song. That is one that oh. I believe people will remember. You give her uh, no credit for writing most of her songs, or she has a hand in writing all. No, whatever. I don't like her songs. Why would I give her credit for that? I would much prefer someone else (laughs) write better songs for her. They're fine, but like you don't give extra credit. No. So there are bad artists who somebody else, like you know, like Drake. He doesn't write most of his or the beats, and he has ghostwriters. Like and like, like I think. If you play a musical instrument or write your own songs, that's I, I give you credit. But that's all rock you, music is, right? Yeah, and so I they give don't get bonus rock, rock, points for writing right. the song. They just are right. They just wrote the song. You don't get bonus points. I, I, I think it's impressive that the artist writes their own song more so than it's somebody else. But it's not more impressive. It, none of that matters. It should, yeah, to the quality of the song. Yes, I'm just saying. Yeah. I'm giving credit. All right, now I have to pull up. I can't even hazard a guess. 1989. All right, like, so 1989. Michael Jackson. November 1989. One of the hair bands, you know. Week of November 12th, 1989. The number one song is When I See You Smile by a band called Bad English, which off the top of my head, I... I think it's awful. Do not think I know. Number 28 is a song called Sugar Daddy by the Thompson Twins. Oh, Abe got it. It's a hair band, right? Well, that's a rough stretch of music, though. That number one song... So, Laura, you've heard of that number one song from that year? I've heard of the band. Like, I think I okay. hate it. I don't okay. know it. Like, I can't play it in my head oh, right now. Oh, man, we missed, we missed Me So Horny by two spots. That is a bummer. <laughs> Two Live Crews, Me So Horny, number 20. Love in an Elevator by Aerosmith, number 24. Nice. Uh, Living in Sin by Bon Jovi, number 21. All right, I guess I got to play the clip from this uh, Sugar Daddy song. Hang on. that you fucker hang on yeah thompson twins that's not I'm good grateful every day that i am a fan of kirby smart's team and that i wasn't older in the 80s <laughs> not a day goes by all right i'm afraid uh, so far now we've got a push last week and we've got a we've got a win for the utes it must be said. Yes. But it That's doesn't right, yes. count because that is a song from just outside our threshold. It shouldn't count. There's an asterisk next to this week. Yeah. Put an asterisk. Because that's a song from 2014. The Billboard Hot 100 this week. Uh, number one, Taylor Swift. 
Number two, Taylor Swift. Three, Taylor Swift. Four, uh, Doha Cat? Doja Cat? Doja Cat. Sorry, don't, I wasn't sure if it was uh, a Latin X type situation there, and you, you say the ha instead of the ja. Uh, number five, Taylor Swift. Number six, Taylor Swift. Number seven, Taylor Swift. Number eight, uh, SZA? S-Z-A? Mm-hmm. You got it. And number nine, Taylor Swift. Number 10, Taylor Swift. Number 11, Zach Bryan. 12, Taylor Swift. Uh, Luke Combs makes an appearance Gross. with Fast Car at number 13. And then one, two, three, four of the next six songs are Taylor Swift. And number 21, speaking of uh, Not Fair, Thriller by Michael Jackson. That's what I mean. Like... I feel that, like that says that enough. Weird Halloween week uh, throwing everything off, perhaps. But like, there just needs to be an asterisk next to this week, not to take anything away from Taylor Swift's great success in this moment we're having. But if the most popular song right now is from ten years ago, that means that music being written right now isn't good. That's true. This one, this one doesn't disprove the thesis necessarily. Not at all. If right, anything, right. it. If anything, it. Proves the thesis. Perhaps, especially given this particular song being sort of probably the best song in terms of uh, memorability by Taylor Swift. It's crazy how Taylor Swift clogs up the top 10 and also has a song that just happens to be 28th. Oh, yeah. It's all the way down. I mean, like I said, the top 40, (laughs) 43, 42, and 40, no, 43 and 42 and 40 and 39 and 36 are all Taylor Swift. God. Wow. It's bad times. Well, that's success. <laughs> You've been listening to Cast Iron Brains, a podcast with Bob and Abe. Find the show at uh, brainiron.com, castironbrains.com. For a show note, uh, opening and closing themes of the show were composed by Mark Gillig, tetramermusic.com, T-E-T-R-A-M-E-R music.com. Let's see here. What other headlines did I not hit today? Oh, no, it's late. I know it's late. So then shut up and ask Abe if he went to the movie. I'm going to. I just, I know, but it's fucking the Marvels or something. It's a stupid conversation to have, too. How dare you. One thing we didn't talk about, the Simpsons had a mild controversy where somebody thought that they stopped choking Bart. Like, you know, the Homer strangles the Bart strangulation? thing? Yeah. Because they made a joke about how times have changed and I don't do that anymore. And so somebody went back into the archives and showed that they hadn't strangled Bart since 2019 or 2020. And so they wrote up a a thing on the internet about how Simpsons is fucking getting with the times and not strangling Bart anymore because it's bad news. And then Matt Greening uh, posted a a drawing of Homer strangling Bart right at this very moment – to suggest that uh, they hadn't... Anyway, the sad fact is that this is 35 years into The Simpsons, and this is the extent to which they're still in the cultural conversation. That, <laughs> that it, To the extent that they are relevant at all, it's that somebody blogs about them, and Greening uh, tweets out a an animation of Homer strangling Bart. And otherwise, uh, there's no reason for the show to exist, seemingly. The... Uh... The campaign to remove a white voice actor from playing a Indian character, Apu, yeah. that was successful like whatever, five, six years ago. This one, how dare you take that strangulation away from Homer? He needs to 
teach the little boy a lesson. That's right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, did you go see the Marvels? Where you did did the forty six point one or something million dollars that uh, this movie made, which is something like one fifth or less of its production budget before you account for the marketing. Uh, so it's, it's money, a movie that's not going to make its money back. Did any of those $46 million come from your AMC A-list uh, account? Yes. So ah, I watched stupid two, bastard. two movies. One was The Marvels, which was not a good movie. Um, and was it not I, a good movie or was it wholly unremarkable? Or was so it, in fact, okay, actively so bad? So the... The movie The Marvels, like, it failed spectacularly at the box office. I think it's, like, one of the worst, like, showings, you know, relative to the, the m- amount of money they spend on these things. And the Also way the, they... worst, the worst uh, MCU movie to date right. as far as an opening weekend goes. Right. And the problem is, like, with these goofy cartoon movies, they're tied to future projects. So, like, if this is a dud, like, it kind of spells doom for all the other future movies they have in in the pipeline. So that's why it's, like... Not only this movie was bad, but it's not an isolated thing. Like it's been a recurring thing where Marvel movies have been doing not great. What was it? Right. The Ant Man bullshit that I saw at the beginning of the year wasn't very good either. Like none of them are good. And you know, I'm watching the movie and I'm like, well, this is like all the others. It doesn't stand out as being worse than the others. It's like pointless. Um, you know, with movies, it's either like a passion project for someone or some. Some some purpose behind making the movie, uh, or it's just a cash grab. This was right. neither. No cash was grabbed, uh, <laughs> and there was no artistic anything to it. So it was like a totally, totally waste of uh, two hours just watching this movie. I was is, busy. Is the Marvels a greater moral stain than seventy-five <laughs> million dollars spent on Jimbo Fisher to not work for the next five years? <laughs> Still Jimbo Fisher, but I will say the moral stain on the Marvels is that apparently, you know, I don't have Disney Plus. There are characters in this movie for, that have TV shows on Disney Plus. And they did a, they didn't call it previously or in case you missed it or whatever, but they did like a montage right. to explain, like, in case you haven't watched any of these shows on Disney Plus, these are going to be the people. Uh, and it still didn't really work. It's like, who are these people? It doesn't make any sense. These are not like the prime, you know, like Superman, Spider-Man, right. the What Batman. if in between the Lord of the Rings movies that came out uh, year after year for three years, right, you had to then watch on uh, the Fox television network a season of television in order to understand what happened in between the movies, right? Like nobody right. would yeah. have fucking done that. that exactly. Was, that, you're, you're asking too much. Right. And, and ultimately, it's like the same thing, you know, different universes or different timelines. It's like worn out. I think people are trying to find a way to write the ship. And my argument is why try to write anything? This was a spectacular financial success the past 10, 15 years. Right. Call it a day. Like, that's it. This whole Abe, thing has fizzled out. Uh, as the kids would say, that's not how capitalism works. Abe. <laughs> it's just like people think, oh, we need to get better writers. It's like the, the story is stupid. Just stop right. it. You, like, you so. captured lightning in a bottle because Robert Downey Jr. is fucking awesome and charming yes. and people like him. And then you spawn um, this. Also, you got Joss Whedon to write your movie. 
you spawned this whole thing and it worked out for you spectacularly and you made a ton of goddamn money. Yeah. These were always low rent superheroes who didn't belong really having their own stories. They're mostly cheesy. The only good one is Spider-Man. Uh, this is just true. Uh, Marvel fucking sucks except for Spider-Man. Sorry, guys. It's just it's just how it is. Spider-Man rules. Everything else is lame. And, uh, and you just got super lucky and you should count your winnings and go home. Right. So that was the... the one of the movies that I watched, the other movie, Anatomy of a Fall, uh, the best movie I've seen this year. Like, this is a is, this is a documentary, right? From no, uh, it's, it's no, it, it's not. It's like a Frenchy movie. Uh, it's like a courtroom drama, Anatomy a, of a Fall. It's not. Uh, but it's based. On, is it based on a documentary? Or I'm it's not based? sure what it's based. On. I mean, it's it's, it's got to be a work of fiction uh, because like the, it's basically about a, a husband who died. In a suspicious way, the the wife is accused of having killed him, and she's like, "No, no, he like killed himself." And was it an this- owl? Did it, was, no. it an owl? Was, was there an owl involved? No. Even even tangentially, was there maybe, an maybe. There was no owl in this movie, no. but mm. every all of the main characters were great. I think there's gonna be a lot of like nominations that will come out of this movie. But I did have one hypothetical to pose to you, Bob. Like, what would you, I'd like to? You sorry, t- I first want to correct. Not a documentary. I don't know why I had it in my head that this was a documentary. It's something that I read, uh, perhaps uh, got crossed wires in my brain. I apologize. This is just a film. Yeah, just a film, but it's not just a film. It's a great, great film. Like I said, I was like enjoying the whole movie. I don't know how long it was. It could have been like 20 hours. I would have sat through the whole thing. So it's Is this a French in- film? Will this be up for like a best foreign picture I Oscar? think they're they're tr- so I think the breakdown was like it's like 55% French, 45% English. Like the movie starts in English and it kind of weaves in and out because it's in France, but the main character speaks English. Gotcha. And so they kind of work around it. By the way, I had no idea how the French court system worked, but the way that it was presented in this work of fiction is entertainingly chaotic. Like they the, – the person who stands accused – can speak to the uh, uh, witnesses that are brought up. They can have back and forth. The prosecutor can have back and forth with either side. The defense can do – it's like everybody's able to interact with one another like almost in conversation. Like, well, you said you were looking the other way when he supposedly killed himself. It's so interesting to see the way other countries do it. Sounds very very French to me. Like, what what if we just take this sitting around the fucking cafe, having shooting the shit, smoking (laughs) cigarettes and eating baguettes, and we just did this in the courtroom to hash things out? (laughs) Let's do that. My my thought was uh, America is not responsible enough for this because, like, it would just become chaotic. It's kind of like whenever I watch Parliament and, you know, the both, all these backbenchers are, like, saying things out loud like the prime minister making some sort of speech like oh boo like i was like oh i'm glad we don't it's fun watching the the british do it and and the canadians but we can't have that in america it would just be no the one time that it happens you cut to fucking lauren bobert and marjorie taylor (laughs) green uh lustily booing the president it's like ah it's it's very distasteful when americans do it this doesn't work at all here so so in is the it movies, a, is it a, so it's not it's strictly speaking an adversarial system in the way that we have it or it sounds it's adversarial but it's yeah. uh confrontational it, it, yeah. it's adversarial but it's it's not as uh, uh, as restricted like the the flow of communication like any like basically everybody can talk like the judge right. is asking everybody's kind of involved 
uh, and this. And I don't even better. know where the jury is. Uh, they're just kind of somewhere. But the 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 principal, the, the husband and wife, they're both writers, right? The the wife is a more successful writer. The husband is writer's block, kind of in his head. He can't finish any work. Like he he has ideas. He'll write certain things down, uh, and like he just can't the finishing touch on it. He can't piece all the pieces together. Yeah, what together. about it? Fuck you, Abe. Well, who cares? What about so here's, it? That sounds so, okay. like a great guy. I don't know what the problem is here. <laughs> Fuck you. So imagine, so, because in the story, I was like, okay, so this guy gets bludgeoned to death, right? So obviously you think that's like the worst thing to happen to him. But like, no, it you? was an owl. <laughs> it was not a, there was no owl anywhere to be found. It was like in open air, you know, it's like in France somewhere. The owl can be ruled out. And the dog right. that was in the movie can also be ruled out. I, I initially thought maybe... You can pin it on the dog. French owls are notorious pussies. Everyone knows this. <laughs> so the male writer, the husband, right, he can't finish anything, but he has a lot of ideas. The wife uh, swooped in like, well, if you're not going to eat that meal, right? She took 27 pages out of like his best work and repurposed it to write a successful completed book and now she's Did getting Did she all- also have a full-time job at the same time? Is well, this is this is this movie actually called a crime worse than murder because what you've just <laughs> described so, so that's what I'm saying. So would you take more umbrage at the potential bludgeoning to death by your wife who now is uh uh saying oh he uh, was depressed and he killed himself like basically she's like ruining tarnishing your reputation after you die or that the theft by taking of this work which, to be fair to her, she was like, you are never going to do anything with this anyways. You've been sitting never on this. Never going to do anything with it anyway. <laughs> so what's it to you, buddy? It sounds like the wife did the husband a fucking favor by yeah. make, taking a step to get a thing published. <laughs> and then killing it. The, the question has been asked and answered. It's a crime worse than murder. So this, this, I'm going to publish your shit. It's awful. He, the, he uh, was, and then I'm going to bludgeon you with an owl. <laughs> Uh, the guy, because basically, you know, so th- she's successful, so that's all she does. She doesn't have another job. Uh, he, since he can't uh, make it as a writer, he's like doing some, like a professor somewhere, and yeah. like he's like a stay-at-home kind of whatever. And he's kind of like resentful of like this is fucked up. Like everything we do is on your terms. They kind of they, they, it was a well-done movie. The way that it was presented throughout the whole thing. The only critique I would have is that the because it's either a suicide. Or a homicide, like a murder, right? No, no, there was no opportunity for anyone else to do this. Either the husband just said, "Woe is me," and he jumped out of a thing, right. or the wife was like, "Oh, fuck you, guy," and smacked him upside the the head. Uh, and this both- being a French movie, I'm going to assume there's not a tidy resolution. That is my guess. No, no. Basically, I mean, at the beginning, they're like, "Oh, at the end of the movie, go to this website. Uh, did she do it?" Dot whatever. Like, right. I guess I didn't go to the website because I was like, <laughs> <laughs> come on. <laughs> but it's, it's a very well done movie. I was, don't, I mean, don't tell after, me how to live movie. <laughs> <laughs> after after the Marvel's experience, I'm like, oh, finally, this is what I'm talking about. This is a movie. This is a movie for grown ups. How yeah. about that? Did, uh, yeah. is it, is it, this is theaters only? I assume that this is, yeah, not I think the, um, it should be on some sort of streaming platform soon. But yeah, it's in theaters as of now. Well, that's uh, that's as hearty a recommendation as you've given oh, yeah. any new movie in a the very long time. I was time. telling you, it is yeah. like yeah, better than Oppenheimer, better than Killers of the Flower Moon. It's better than all of them. 
Well, good. Uh, we didn't watch anything. We just watched a bunch of sports. Lots of sports. We're going to watch The Killer, hopefully, this week, which is on Netflix now, which is the uh, David Fincher movie uh, starring Michael Fassbender. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that, perhaps, and, and talk about it next weekend. What else am I reading? I'm reading uh, still the 1984 spinoff book, uh, sort of fan fiction book, uh, Julia. Uh, a little more than halfway through that, and it is continues to be very, very interesting. This woman, Sandra Newman, has done a very good job of capturing the world as Orwell presented it and is sort of faithful to that presentation of the world while bringing, some might argue, a much-needed uh, other perspective to the goings-on. Uh, and and I don't know how it's going to end, but up to this point, I'm enjoying it greatly. I'm also reading uh, Stephen King's collected short story, uh, collection of short stories by Stephen King called Skeleton Crew, which... Uh, is very hit or miss in terms of the quality, um, but enjoyable nonetheless. And I'm trying to think of anything else that I've picked up this week, and I can't off the top of my head, so we'll just leave it at that. We discussed plenty of college football earlier tonight, so we don't have to add to that. Everything I am consuming is a college football podcast, (laughs) besides my accounting homework. Nice. It's great. It's all good. George has got uh, Tennessee in Knoxville this weekend. Abe, any concerns? No concern. Uh, next two weeks should be a cupcake games. You know, Tennessee, Georgia Tech, easy does it. And then Alabama should be a fun game. That's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be terrible, but it's going to be a lot of fun. I, the, need, uh, I, don't, I need to just not go to work that week. I need to <laughs> Jimbo Fisher my way out of work. Georgia Tech is a night game, as I think we mentioned at some point. We haven't had a Georgia Tech night game in a while, and uh, a longstanding uh, rule that we break all of the time is that you cannot get a Christmas tree unless you beat Georgia Tech. We don't really. We don't actually enforce this rule. Uh, But it does make purchasing the Christmas tree before the Tech game feel a little bit like we're fucking with the gods, uh, perhaps more than we should. I won't decorate it till Sunday. We'll buy it Saturday. Let it open up. But the rule should be if Georgia beats Tech that weekend, then you can go out and get a Christmas tree. And if they don't, then you have to uh, endure one extra week without the Christmas tree in your house. That should be the rule. It's not a rule that we've ever enforced. Also, it's not one that we've really had too much the last 20 goddamn years because Georgia owns the shit out of Georgia Tech. Like almost to the point where like you could make an argument that – uh, Georgia Tech should beat Georgia this year just to inject a little bit more of the old hatred right. into this rivalry. Because ultimately, if Georgia were to yeah, we have to beat Atlanta either or lose beat, to uh, Tech, Alabama either we've way. We've got to beat Alabama either way, right? And if you beat if you lose to Georgia Tech, but then you come back the next week and you beat Alabama, they're not keeping you out of the goddamn playoff, right? There's no yeah. way. Yeah. yeah, you have to. That's we true. have to beat whoever. Fuck. So whoever wins the SEC is going to go to the playoff regardless. I'm not saying I want Georgia to lose to Georgia Tech, but this is the sort of year where, like, if you have to pick a year, all right, fine. Give them this one. They can can end our long winning streak, whatever. If we lose to Tech, it would be because all the players are injured. So, like, don't. No, I'm not saying it's what I want to happen. I'm just saying. I know you're not saying that, but if you're saying 
It if, gets if there's the point, a possibility, they've got to beat us every once in a while, or the the rivalry loses its goddamn flavor. Right? It's lost its flavor. It yeah, can just be maybe flavorless. Anyway, you uh, you got anything else for us tonight, Abe? Nope. Well, I guess that's all we've got for tonight, then. And we'll talk to you next time. Later. Any sort of like pep talk to a kid, to like a cynical adult, kind of sounds like a, a condescension, right? Ah, I had a ball. That's what I'm talking about. You did great with that ball that you fucked through Abe, sideways, right? Y- I am not the cynical one here. <laughs> the cynicism is in the person okay. who is treating this child like a retard, okay? <laughs> That's the cynicism. I have a higher regard right. for the individual person at the end of this conversation than that person does. Right. That's the cynical asshole, not me, and I'll never come down from that fucking obnoxious hill that e- I put myself on. Even in 10 years, like 10 years from now, uh, there's like a study... A retrospect. Oh, that uh, the propaganda worked. You know, like that's like the headline. Like the talking. Yeah, I think up. that that's the most likely outcome. Is that the way that we treat people today in the year 2023 is going to be proven to have been ultimately the proven. right thing to do? Yeah, yes. that's the we, we we figured it out. This is the best way to deal with humans. You go, You're see? absolutely right. <laughs> the same page. Leave the kids to their TikTok and anyway, their and their Instagram. It's, it's fine. Do you do 5Ks? You don't do 5Ks, do you? No, I mean, I did once, but uh, I remember I I did one for, like, like the at at the Truist Park or whatever it was called before. It was Truist Park. Uh, Because you can run into the field. I was like, oh, that'd be nice. But I was like, I'm not going to do this again. No. You don't pay for a fucking 5K. Why would you pay money to run three miles? Three miles is nothing. At a specific time. No. Yeah. Not like at some point that day. That's true, yeah. Yeah, no, it's not worth like the, the effort. the early yeah. in the morning thing. Also, yeah. it was at the most expensive private school on the top of a hill. That this just... place, Abe, they have, so they have like six different artificial field turf fields there. Wow. Like, For an elementary school. At, elementary school. Well, at, that, yeah, we were on the elementary school campus, but they also have a middle school and a high school as part of their whole thing. Uh, between... The low end, I think, was twenty-two grand a year a for year. the kindergartners, and for like, like K up, through four, up to thirty-five grand a year for the high for schoolers. High school. Wow, fucking nuts! But a gorgeous facility, like legit, like a fucking field hockey and lacrosse field that is like nicer than anything I've ever played on. Like it's just <laughs> fucking beautiful. Uh, I have clients who send multiple <clears throat> kids there for all twelve years. Wow, that's a pretty penny. Yeah, it is. I, I is it a greater moral stain than seventy five million dollars? <laughs> kind of spent on Jimbo Fisher, not coaching. Well, add it up over time. Yeah. yeah, it's it's up there. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Good all right. night. Good night. The proceeding was created with one hundred percent human content. <laughs>